Gotta Go Pizza presents S-D-P-P. The Steve Dangle Podcast. With your hosts, Steve Dangle, Adam Wilde, and Jesse Blake. Let's go! Well, doozy of a week. Um, I think yeah. the first thing we're, we're going to talk about is just a bit, a bit of a scheduling thing. Because technically speaking, I guess right now, we're in the offseason. And uh, sort like of middle up season. So what's what's going to happen here? And I think James Myrtle talked about this in the Athletic recently. Is it's going to be a while, probably, before the schedule ends at the end of June, or sorry, in the middle of June, and then we have the draft and we do free agency on that same time frame. It could be three or four years before that that actually leans out to be that way again as we readjust. For us, um, you know, one of the things obviously that's happened is that we realized we're going to be probably working pretty intensely as soon as August hits because uh, we'll actually have games to talk about, which is amazing. Um, and that could go two, three months. So right up until the end of October. And, then and I our, our off season after that is going to be like 45 minutes. Yeah, I think <laughs> the month of November and then it's back into it in, in mid-December. So, um, so what we're going to do is we're going to reduce the amount and up the quality. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is obviously there's been a ton lately in the news that's been newsworthy and talk about, and it's crossed over into hockey, and we've discussed it. Uh, the, the murder of George Floyd, the protests, um, the pandemic, the scheduling, the ha- who's doing what draft, you know, that all that stuff has, has kind of all been a part of this show. But as we inch closer to that, we also kind of want to get our rest and be ready to go and have some sort of semblance of an off season. So we're going to reduce it down after this week. So you'll still have this Sunday show and then Wednesday. Uh, after this week, you'll get one on Wednesday every single uh, week up until the new season starts. We're going to treat it basically like uh, July and August in June. Cool? There you go. Sounds good. I'm down. Everyone listening also said... Sounds good, boys. Whatever, man. <laughs> Just fucking whatever. Um, I, you know, it's, it, it, part of it comes from the fact, too, that it's like, okay, so, you know, we have had the debate about, well, how are they going to do the schedule about 40 times? And I think at a certain point you realize, okay, I, I'm going to have – we need an offseason, mm-hmm. uh, and we need, uh, we, need, we need to fuel up. And a lot of us have gone through a lot of changes and big things lately, and, and, uh, and you know, it's, it's the summer. Things are happening. So I, I think we'll – uh, we'll, we'll get to that point. Uh, the first thing, though, I really want to talk about, and I am so proud of this because uh, I had nothing to do with it, but very proud, um, is, the, is Jesse, along with two other people on Twitter, getting a hold of EA Sports to make a change in the NHL game. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, Jesse, I want you to kind of recap this because it, it, it's both sides of what we've been talking about. It's the, um, it's the protests. It's the injustices, and it's our favorite sport being involved in it. And uh, in this particular case, the, the one video game company that's allowed to make a game regarding that sport. So can you talk about your experiences and then, and then how one tweet sort of changed things? Yeah, so one thing that's been happening over the last like, month or so before even the movement to support the black community after George Floyd's death is um, on Twitter – uh, myself and a couple of other people kind of kickstarted a movement to get um, racist names banned in EASHL because it's, it's uh, not mince words about it. It's terrible. Uh, rampant. It's rampant. Sorry. Rampant. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. It's rampant. Every time you log on, if you play multiple games, you're going to come across someone with a racist name and they target the black community mainly. 
it's it's very offensive and for um for i don't know it was probably about a week or so when the akeem aliou story came out um myself and everybody who engaged with the tweet just tweeted out all of their screenshots of all these names tic tac tomar every day every day man and we're like hey ea if this if we're gonna try and make hockey for everyone we can't have this and they dropped the ball completely the last decade they've been running with this game because they've done nothing about it. They don't have a system where you can easily report these people for being racist and get their accounts banned. They're, they haven't created a system for that. And it's unacceptable and it has always been unacceptable. And no one's ever really called them on that. It's kind of just been accepted in hockey culture, in chell culture that it's gonna you're gonna have racist kids on in the game which is just a shame so finally uh just a twitter storm we kind of called them on it and then nothing came of it month later now george floyd happens now we see the world shift to where the entire world is talking about hey we gotta we can't just be against racism we have to be anti-racist we have to fight racism and ea came out with a statement on uh, june 5th which is friday where they said ea sports will not tolerate racism of any kind and they will start taking action against these racist acts in their game so they've committed to eliminating these people from the game because they have no right to be in these communities and hopefully now, I, I sent out a tweet when they sent out this message. I said, thank you for listening, because that's, that's the first step. And they did it. A lot of people don't want to give EA Sports any credit. Even if they do anything, a lot of people just hate the brand and they don't want to give them credit for anything. But you got to give, give them credit for listening and saying that they will do something. And now it's about them backing up their words. They put out a long statement like, so many brands have been doing, so many companies, so many people have been saying, hey, we're going to support the communities. We're not going to, we're going to be anti-racist. And they said they're going to do that. So I believe they're going to do that. And now we better see some action. And, you know, a, f- a few things there. So there, there's been a few accounts for at least months now. I'm not sure how long you could send these screenshots to, and they would try to do something about it. Um, so, you know, people have been trying to make an impact. I think... I think more now it's about EA devoting more resources to this because it should be, if you've seen the amount of names, you know, we're probably going to need more than two people uh, to, to handle this problem. Uh, there were a lot of people going, well, isn't this more of a PSN issue? Um, because it's their username on their PlayStation network. That is maybe part of the issue, but we're talking about in-game player names, in-game team names, uh, what that needs are to happen absolutely the game, wild. The, the simplest solution is in the game, when you get to that screen or you're matched up with the other team and you see their, uh, their PSN name plus their Chell player name, it needs to be a button. You click yep. right there that says, hey, this is racist. This is against the rules and regs in your game right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hit this button. It sends it off to EA and they get banned. And that's yeah. never been implemented. And hopefully this leads to that implementation. Yeah, and people people talk about you know maybe abusing that function. That's that's EA's job. EA's job is to go through all that, and so you don't worry about that. You don't work for EA, and if you do, that's your job. <laughs> you know, it's it's their job to go through all that, and make sure it doesn't get abused, and make sure that we don't have to put up with this shit anymore. And so many people keep saying, yeah, oh, you wouldn't last 
in a what, what is it modern warfare uh lobby it's like okay that's bad too exactly that's bad comma t-o-o mm-hmm. fix it all man mm-hmm. fix it all and that's like and one, say, that's like getting bombed and then being like fuck at least it's not nuclear bombs, am I right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Am I, I mean, that? like, what a dumb, what a terrible line of argument. And, and even to that point, like, I'm not worried about myself seeing those names because I'm, I'm a grown ass man. I've seen that a hundred times. I can take it. I'm worried about the 15 year old kid who also plays Chell, and he's a little black boy, and he's seen these racist names every time he pulls up the game. And he goes online. Dude, that's ridiculous. Nine, the, the game on the cover has a little thing that says E for everyone. It's targeted for all ages. Yeah, how right. can you have this in your game? It's funny. Uh, it, it, the amount of people that said if they don't do something, at least this is what I saw, and I could be wrong, but there were people last week that were starting to say, "I will never buy another game if you don't do something." And it seems as though it was like, "Oh, now, now that," and, and I don't, I don't imagine the guys on the actual NHL level. Because they're a multicultural, like, multiracial team. Like on the production uh, team. Yeah, the production team, the team that's behind this. I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's that they are like, well, I'm, I'm against filtering this out. I think sometimes with a major corporation, you have to show them that their revenue is in jeopardy. And um, when you start saying stuff like, I will never buy this game again until you solve this problem, that's the kind of stuff you can run up the chain to management and go, look how many tweets about this we've had. Um, this will continue to spread if we do nothing. So, and, 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 you, and you say, well, you know, they should have they um, done it anyway. And you're right, but they didn't. So now the way to, do, to get people's attention is say, I'll just, never buy your, I'll just never buy your product again. I just will never, I will not play hockey, don't care. And... Uh, um, and I think that may have gotten people's attention. One thing with the statement, though, and I'm not going to not give them credit, but there isn't an acknowledgement, at least from what I saw. Jesse, do you still have it in front of you? Uh, yeah, it's sitting in front of me. Yep. There's, a, there's not an acknowledgement of a pretty major problem, which is, what, every two, three games you can run into this stuff? At least. Uh, if you're, yeah, yeah, at least. So it's rampant. And so it's not – it's like all it says is we won't tolerate it, yet they have to this point. And I wish there had been an acknowledgement just right off the bat saying, this is a problem. Just and start, we let it get start your statement with online gaming is a nightmare. Well, and, and yeah, but again, who's creating the games? So who's responsible? Right. Well, we acknowledge that we have done nothing about the fact that online gaming is a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. I can read the opening line for you guys. Sure. It says, we're constantly taking action to maintain a culture of inclusion. Toxic behavior changes and evolves rapidly, and we recognize that we need to do more to actively monitor and remove those individuals who perpetuate racist, xenophobic, homophobic, and sexist behaviors in our games. It's good. I mean, listen, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, to me, my, my one criticism would be just own the fact that you have a rampant issue. Now, yeah. that, again, would not be the NHL team. That would be the PR department sanitizing it running it 40 times and 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 that's what they're paid to do and you know if you write that down you know does that come up later in a case or something like that like that's how they're thinking so i understand why it wasn't in there i just think it's disappointing that it wasn't yeah, I um i agree and uh and 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 so now 
as Jesse, you mentioned, it's time for to, to see what the action is. And so I'm, I'm curious about this because obviously each game has a scheduled date for release. And usually NHL's is in September, is it not? Mm-hmm. So I wonder about this year's NHL game. They must be delaying it. And they'll still I get it I think it is. I think yeah, it is. Yeah, so they'll still get it out before Christmas during the buying season. And in fact, I would argue a better season to release it is November because you're that much closer to Christmas. Um, but in this particular regard, so if we don't see it till November, they've got six months to figure out how to do this, whatever this is. And they've got six months to um, perfect it. And I would like to see what the turnaround time on that is. And you know what? I've played a billion other EA games. They do shooters. They did Star Wars. They do um, uh, the Battle Battlefronts. Uh, sorry, Battlefront and Battlefield. Um, I'd like to see that happen there as well, and uh, and and continue on. I mean, if they find a way to do this in an expedient fashion that pulls the names quickly, um, but that doesn't pull other people's PSNs unfairly, right? Because that's the that's the worry is that oh no, somebody who's not racist might get pulled. Well, let's focus on pulling the races down first. And somebody, if they have to go for 24 hours without playing a game, I'm sure they'll be okay. But um, you know, uh, I think that they want to figure out a way where they're able to quickly decipher between the two. That's on them. But if they figure this out for the NHL, this could be an industry-wide change instantly. Yeah, one thing that like, what, a lot of like, people tweeted out under the uh, EA Sports statement was uh, screenshots of things that were going on in FIFA, which they also oh, yes, yeah, so I can only imagine. I've never played FIFA, but apparently it's a huge problem just as it is in NHL. Well, playing FIFA online is just a huge problem. Uh, but playing, yes, there's a ton of racist names. Play, playing FIFA online is the most frustrating thing you'll ever do in your life. Um, but the, Why is that? <laughs> yeah, why? Because people are so fucking good at it um oh. like you don't like there's okay there's people that are like nasher's good whatever like they're good these people in fifa i don't even think the game developers knew that this could these things can happen and the game is so much better anyway right it's oh, yeah. so much more money put into it it's worth so much more <laughs> yeah. but these it's art the way they play these games and if you run into like if you're playing base level shit you're gonna have some guy and it's probably some guy that's been playing for 20 years come in and just wreck you and you'll get wrecked again and wrecked again and wrecked again. And I have a friend who snapped his controller in, in half and he plays it all the time. <laughs> I, I only play, when I buy FIFA, I only play, um, I don't play online. I flat out, I just won't have any fun. I love building, you know, you could build a franchise and move it and do, you do crazy soccer transfers or you can do your own be a player, which is awesome. But dude, like the worst, worst, worst thing you can do is play FIFA online. And then, Couple that with the insane amount of racism that happens, happens to exist. And the reason I would say for that is it's proportional to the amount of people that are playing, right? I mean, you have the whole world playing and the world's a pretty racist place. And, uh, and so it's unfortunate, but I, I can't for the life of me understand why this wasn't a bigger priority company-wide. You know, we, I think we've accepted for too long that the internet has been this way. So therefore it will always be this way. It's, and I well, don't, it's, well, I don't think that's a realistic way of looking at it. Because if we were always like, well, the internet's slow and it's on dial-up, so that's the way it'll always be, we'd still be on fucking dial-up. But here we are not on dial-up anymore. We're on Wi-Fi. It's great. 5G, we're all going to turn into aliens. It's wicked. It's, it's, just, that, it's that, um, you know, oh, you wouldn't survive in a modern warfare lobby. Well, I don't think you're making the point that you think you're making. 
Right. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? People seem to be looking at the internet like, oh, it happens on the internet and the internet's wild west. We can't police it. Well, you can and you probably and, should, you know? And yeah. I, I feel like too many you can. companies and people have given up and they're like, ah, if it goes on the internet, it's fair game. But that's not how it should be. No. No. We should have respect for people, which is, it's crazy that that's a, a big thing to ask. Right. Well, I'm not sure. Um, I want to get your thoughts too. Tori Hunter came out today or two days, sorry, not today, yesterday with a, uh, a statement about never wanting to go to Boston. Now I don't want to single out the city of Boston in any regard here because I've never played in front of fans in Boston, but Tori did. Uh, and he said, essentially, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, that every contract he ever signed is one of the best center fielders we've seen in our generation. Every contract he's ever signed had a no trade clause to Boston. And the reason for that is because he said every time he goes to Boston, he's called the N-word, and he said it's happened well over 100 times. And he said, I don't blame the teams. I don't blame the ushers, the teammates, the, the, like, the, the coaching staff, anybody. I blame you who sat beside the guy in the stands who said nothing. And I thought that was a pretty powerful statement. I think that can happen anywhere. I mean, you ask Wayne Simmons uh, what happened to him in his junior career. It can happen anywhere. Uh, Torrey Hunter's just, that just happened to be Boston for him. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a thing that I think, you know, even those, those things that, that, you know, it seems so, um, it seems so easy to say in a vacuum, yeah, I would say something. What happens if that guy's 6'4", 250 pounds, and he's drunk, and you're at the Sox game, and he says that? What do you say then? And I think a lot of people go, well, that's stupid, and I would, I would just, you know, I'll just mind my own business leave and be. I don't know if we can do that anymore. I think you call ushers over. I think you, there's other ways to deal with it. You don't necessarily need to go in yourself. Um, but it, I thought it was a very interesting perspective on things i was curious to hear i mean steve i'm not sure if you've even read that jesse i'm sure you saw that tory hunter yeah. yeah yeah so i just wanted to get your thoughts on that well i mean it's his own experience right you know i, I saw a bunch of people writing it off and all of this that i mean it's his own experience how are you going to tell him he didn't hear what he heard you know and how are you going to tell him it was uh it wasn't disproportional uh, to boston um i mean it'd be very easy for me to be like, I've been to Boston for sporting events and I've never had a negative experience in my life, but <laughs> I have had a very different uh, sporting experience in Boston than Tory uh, Hunter had. And it's funny because, you know, I watch Bostonians fight amongst themselves on Twitter all the time. And they're the ones who go, no, we're not. And they're the other ones who go, mm, yeah, we are. Um, and, you know, it's one of the, in terms of Northeastern, uh american cities it's the one that gets talked about uh the most so i mean it's tory hunter's experience jesse um i was listening to a podcast recently with um cc sabathia and they asked him about how uh carl crawford didn't work out in boston and he talked about how um carl crawford he likes he likes just going out to dinner after a game he likes just being out in the city going to grocery stores and he talks about how that was impossible in Boston because he, would, he can't go anywhere without being harassed. He can't go out anywhere without a Red Sox fan running up to him. In a place like New York, it's so big where 
in a place like LA as well, just so big that you can walk around as a celebrity at times in pockets and live somewhat of a normal life, even though it's kind of secluded. And, and Carl Crawford's like a D-lister in LA, right? Right. Like, and all then, the celebrities that are there. Exactly. No, people aren't running up to Carl. TMZ is not really hunting down Carl Crawford when he's in no. LA. There's a million more stars that are bigger. But if, you, if you're a baseball player in Boston, you're, you're it. Like, that's the only thing anybody cares about. And I, and I wonder just that when people get that passionate about sports, you see it bleed over into who they really are. Like, it comes out in sports. And if someone has that hatred within their heart and their te- something's going wrong with their team, and it, it'll come out. And it's a shame that um, it, it bleeds out that way and these players have to be the brunt of it. And I hope that with the conversations that are having now, those things can change. And that the, the sports just aren't an outlet for when you're angry. You know? Right. And sometimes you got to let these guys live. They're just people. Right. Yeah, and I thought it was great insight and just why his career there didn't work out. And now you hear the story that Tori Hunter told and you're like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Because Crawford didn't, he's, well, Sabathia talking about Crawford, he didn't mention any racism. of the racism involved. You're just talking about him going out in the city and how you can't move in Boston if you're a baseball player. But I wonder if, a lot of that has to do with just the attitudes of people and people who aren't the best people and uh, that coming Of which out there with. are in every city, by the way. Yes. Yes. Just throw oh, that out there. That's 100%. a blame that is equally shared. I, I hate, uh, and I hate to interrupt you, Jesse, but I also no. want to say, I hate it when people are like, well, it's Boston fans or Avalanche fans, am I right? No. I, everybody's got, and it's a small percentage of just shitty people. And they're shitty people. They cheer for the same team you do. Um, you wouldn't have them in your house. You wouldn't invite them over for a beer. They happen to own the same jersey that you own and cheer for the same team and maybe be from the same city. But that's about all you guys have in common. And every fan group has it. And it, it proportional to sport and popularity, there are a lot more shitty Red Sox fans than there are Jays fans, like Blue, Jay, Blue Jays fans, because the Red Sox are that much bigger. They're way bigger. Um, that you know, and If you were to compare shitty Leafs fans to shitty Florida Panthers fans, you'd probably find a lot more Leafs fans that are shitty than Florida Panthers fans because Leafs have more fans. Yeah. Um, well, and, and for, the, for the hundreds of, uh, you know, inbound whatabout-isms, yeah, those are bad too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Once again, By the way, two. you should look up the origins of whataboutism. If you want to get into a Adam's history corner with whataboutism. Was it's, it the dawn of man? No. Well, it was sort of, but the, the, it was a huge tool used by the, uh, by the uh, Soviet Union against uh, dissidents within their own and, and, uh, and internationally in politics. And it was sort of, it's funny to see it adopted so much in the States right now, because that's essentially politically, that's exactly what they're, they're doing. It's, it's, it's um, leader does something bad. People say, hey, that's wrong. Leader supporters go, oh, you just don't like him. Or, well, what about when your guy was in? Well, no, 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 no. Let's bring it back to the actual issue. And so when people do that, just understand whether you're the one doing it mm. or uh, you're the one catching it, that's what they're doing. It's just a, here's a shiny thing over here. Every, every conversation is conversation. Well, anything but that conversation. And nothing goes anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, the whole point of it is to stymie dialogue. It's to prevent, because a good conversation is one foot in front of the other, right? It's to make you sidestep and screw up the conversation and make it hard to follow. So, um, 
but it, it, in, in regards to um, where we're at now, Jesse, I know you were at some protests on Friday. I was, um, yeah. Did you go Saturday as well? or is just I was not different? there Saturday. You're not there Saturday. Friday. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what it was like on Friday? Because I, I talked to you a bit about it. It seemed pretty powerful. Yeah, it was, uh, it was beautiful is how I described it. Um, if anybody knows Toronto, we marched down Young Street west on dundas then north on bay and it was just kind of a circle in the main core of downtown and we slowly marched around in that circle with different chants for about two hours just um we made our voices heard we everybody had signs it was thousands of people um me and my girlfriend we went down there and then we joined as it was already starting to march and we were at the back and then just like 15 minutes later you turn around and there's another thousand people behind you it's like when you're at a concert and you join the end of the pack and then you just turn around it's like oh this whole thing is filled so that was great to see and then at the end um it started raining on everybody and that just made everything more beautiful and poetic it it was poetic and then we started chanting the rain won't rain won't stop us and it just it just made everybody just get reinvigorated because the sun was getting really hot and then the rain came down and we're like this is exactly what we need mm-hmm. and that was a great moment and at the end we all sang happy birthday to brianna taylor because that was her birthday was on friday we all stopped at uh, young and Bloor, um right outside the subway there the whole the whole crowd paused for a moment we sang happy birthday and then we took a knee for a minute and it was peaceful my favorite part, I think, well, one of my favorite parts of the whole thing was how young everybody's face was. The, the people who were out there were the next generation, the people who will be making a difference in 10 to 15 years. And that was beautiful to see. And yeah, it was, a, it was a lovely, peaceful protest. It was interesting. We were on the air on uh, Friday morning, about 7.30, Steve, and we didn't know this was going to happen obviously there's been some looting and stuff in other cities. Um, so a lot of businesses boarded up downtown and mid mid show big board comes up over our window and it's boarded oh, up. Yeah. Really? And, and uh, yeah, cause they're just trying to protect the building. Right. And I, I get that uh, because there are agitators that are not a part of this movement at all uh, that are being that's, arrested. That's reported. That's oh reported. yeah. Yeah. That, these that's are not like, you pulling it out. Of yeah. Your ass. No, no, no. There's a, there's, there's, I mean, you can look up the record. There are, are anarchists coming in and they're doing this. Um, and, uh, and, and it's, it's so shitty because it distracts from the movement. Um, and that's what these people do. I mean, their whole thing is it's, they, they all think they're the Joker, right? They all think they're from, uh, they all think that they're like, well, I don't stand for anything. Like, shut up, go away. Uh, you just want attention. Um, so anyway, so we had to, you know, they boarded up for that reason. And to hear Jesse's experience, because that's a very, I, I don't know how to describe it other than it's a very jarring experience when you're on the air to have that happen. Um, uh, because, yeah. because you're on the air and you're, you're very vulnerable. You're supposed to put yourself out there, right? And so when that happens, it's weird. So it was great to see such a peaceful but effective protest. You know, every news outlet in the country is covering it. Everybody's there. Um, the interviewers, the, 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 the media who are there are interviewing people who have, uh, who are like, I don't know if they're designated spokespeople, uh, but they were f- certainly well-spoken and they were all young, as Jesse said. And so I'm watching at home because I'm with Everly and, uh, and just kind of taking that in. And from my perspective, it was sort of like, wow, this just looks 
so well put together and um, it's so effective. Yeah. So one okay. of the other great things was just the people who are standing around uh, watching the protest go by. And uh, whenever there was a car, it would all be applause and honks and cheers. It was like the entire city was out watching uh, the protesters and just supporting them like a sports team. You know, it was just they we'd walk by a group and they would all clap and they would all cheer and they would join in on some of the Black Lives Matter chants. And then we'd walk up a little a car uh, section because the police were uh, the police were actually leading most of the um, where the protest was walking because we had our path I described and the police would block off the streets so that cars knew like, hey, you can't you can't walk here. You can't drive here for this little amount of time. And the cars that were stopped, they weren't angry. They would they would stop. They would look out. They would roll down their windows. They would honk their horns. They would start clapping and they they understood what was going on. And it was great. So, yeah, the whole city seemed to just be on the right side of history in, in that moment at least the people who were out there at the time it's um, it's been wild to see how uh widespread it is um there was there was video from bristol in england today um i saw like a uh there's a there's a black lives matter march in guelph which no offense to guelph like uh, guelph would not have been on my list just it's Oak not had it's not big thursday Oh, cool. it feels a little bit bigger. Yeah, but it's still yeah. cool. Like you go to yeah. the suburbs, you don't expect those things in the suburbs. Like no. I grew up out no, in Mississauga, and I would have never thought of a protest happening in in Mississauga. So just no. as now, grown up and hearing that something happened in Oakville, and a bunch of people got together to protest and uh, support the black community, like that's great to hear. It's cool. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, it's just it's nice to see that all happen. And it's a, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously we have to keep the momentum going here, but it just does seem like there's, there's things already. I just, I feel like there's a bit of a shift in a lot of people's consciousness and, and hopefully that continues. And, um, you know, we all are sort of rowing in the same direction now a little bit more, I think. And uh, interesting to see the, um, the Colin Kaepernick stuff come back up too. Um, you know, Drew Brees, you know, coming out this week, you're saying oh, anybody that disrespects the flag. And then, uh, you know what, the best take on that, the best take on that. And, and I drew to his, his credit apologized after. But, Drew Brees right now is the biggest advocate for uh, protests. Right yes, now. he is. Yeah. <laughs> shit, shit, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. Right. Um, um, so, so, <laughs> so the funniest thing about that was I—I I don't know if you guys follow Shannon Sharp on uh, yeah. on Instagram, but Shannon Sharp to me, you know that that show. I didn't think that Skip Bayless show had it, but man, um, Undisputed with him and Shannon Sharp is so good, and Shannon is the star. And that's and, it. And so the best thing. And I, I love the way Shannon does that because he says skip and then and then uh, <laughs> and then he gets into skip. Here's what I think. And, and it's he's like otherwise it's normal, but it's skip. There's all the and, different <laughs> tones of skip, too. Yes. And he goes through every octave in <laughs> the middle best. of his six minute rant. And best skip. dressed man on television. Bar none. But his thing was, and this was the headline for the video, Drew Brees needs to retire. Oh wow. <laughs> and he said, if you can go through High school, college, and almost a 20-year NFL career with all of those black men. 
and not understand this, then you're not paying attention and there's no way that your team can rightly follow you in. Now, and look how quick he got it. Yeah. Got- <laughs> after, after 49 other guys on his team came we're at like- him and were like, hey, yeah. we're not going to block for you offensive. The offensive line isn't going to block for you as soon Old as you a snap. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Man, Unless you get this. Unless all the people – so many people were like, oh, but, you know, the, the conversation and the learning, wasn't that beautiful? I'm like, he's had that conversation before. It's impossible that he hasn't. It's simply I, impossible. Quarterbacks no. are sort of untouchable in that room. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't oh, sound – based have. on what he said, it didn't sound like he had, which is <sighs> freaky in itself. Or he right? forgot. Like, I, I don't but know. The whole uh, thing here is making sure people get it. And yep. he got it in a matter of three days. So yeah, and then I'm Trump happy. tweets about him, and then he he responds to Trump and says, "Actually, yeah. <laughs> but actually, Trump." <laughs> All of a sudden, Drew Brees is Chrissy Teigen with the tweets, you know? Just yeah, the president. Yeah, oh, the breakneck speed of 2020 can be captured in just the NFL over the last I don't know four days. Yeah, because yep. it was Drew, B- Drew Drew Brees saying what he said him getting corrected en masse, the yep. president supporting his first statement, him going to the president, no, 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 no. <laughs> and also the NFL social team, supposedly, going behind the NFL's back, going to all these different African-American NFL players and getting them to release their statement. And Roger Goodell issuing a sort of apology not directly to colin kaepernick but just in general he owes to, him an apology though he 100 direct does. apology he 100 percent does yeah. he 100 percent does but the the break next beat that is just nfl related stuff and i've probably missed some i've probably missed some that's just nfl stuff over the last three or four days yes adam oh we've lost him or at least i think we've lost have i lost you both no no, no we're here sorry i saw you i Hello? thought you were like reading something Adam, can you hear us? Can you hear us? I think his connection died. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, there, yeah. Adam. Hello, hello. I lost you. Yeah. I think oh, there was your internet's. I think a little wonky. Your internet's wonky. <laughs> Friggin' your internet's walk wonky. Go put it in the freezer. With yeah, your jeans. maybe I will. It's right over there. Crap. So, um. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was that. That was a very interesting back and forth. Um, and and you know, uh, uh. We've, we've even had messages directly that say, you know, I was on one side and I see the other side now. It's a tough, it's a tough thing because um, I think that there is, um, I think you have to accept sometimes that there's stuff that you don't know. And <laughs> that's really fucking hard for people. There's things that you, that you assume about yourself that are not true. And this one plays to... Um, a character, you know, a characterization of oneself that if, if you thought, well, I'm not racist. Well, that's, that's the thing is that it's not even about that. And well, it is about that, but it's also about more than that. And I think that this has all played into that. And I think there's been a, a lot of, I think the last four years, at least I can tell you for me, they have, uh, they've been a lot of questioning, a lot of stuff, a lot of things that you go, man, I got to do, I got to soul search that one. Um, but it's nice to see somebody like Drew Brees get it. It was nice to see his teammates come out and say, uh, yeah, he screwed up. No question. But 
you know, we, uh, you know, some of us, I'm sure some of them talked to him. Um, and it seemed as though they were like, okay, we'll forgive this. We'll move on. He seems to get it now. Right. Mm-hmm. That's also important. Um, because it's growth together on that one. And that's, that's sort of the reason, um, we're, you not, know, we're not the same show we were in 2013 when we began, oh, no. like there's, no. we don't think the same there's, there's been growth there. And, and I think, you know, I'm 32 now. So the difference between me and when I was 22, just coming out of school is I'm much more ready to admit that I don't know or understand something now than when I was 22 and knew even less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, not even that I thought I knew everything, maybe a little bit, but also <laughs> I thought you needed to put up a front that you knew everything. Yes. Otherwise you weren't going to get taken seriously. Uh, you know, you weren't going to get hired for certain things. And that was a big priority of mine when I was, you know, 22, just coming out of school. When in fact, the more you're willing to admit you don't understand something, um, the more people see you as someone who's maybe more mature and willing to learn and trust you know what i mean trustworthy is a good one too yeah um, just favorite, just you have your head on right no one knows phrase, everything favorite phrase is uh, i don't know i don't have an answer for you but i'll get back to you on that don't say i don't know just say i don't have an answer for you right now i'll get back to you on that gino retta hated i don't know mm-hmm. hated i don't know when i worked for him because it's i don't lazy. know it passes the buck yeah i don't know but i'm gonna go find out yeah all right yeah, he yeah. hated it. I just, I don't know by itself, hated it. Yeah, I no, learned it. to get rid of it very fast. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Now, uh, uh, let us not, gentlemen, mm. let us not be remiss and forget that the Ottawa Senators had another week to remember. Only the Ottawa Senators, in the midst of what's happening right now, could wait 10 days to put out a statement decrying what happened to uh well what happened to every like all of the people that we've been discussing yes and and that they're anti-racist thank you ottawa senators appreciate that they were i think the second last team because new york is the last team new york is still last yes they were well there's reasons for that apparently new york refuses to say that racism is bad Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'd be hilarious if the Knicks just refused to play. The the only thing they've done since our last show, they still have not tweeted since May thirtieth, and their own their most recent tweet is a retweet of Anson Carter, which is a cop out. Mm-hmm. It's it's amplifying a black voice. Absolutely, do that. Say your own shit. You're but you're fact, putting I- you're putting you're putting the uh, burden on him. But One back thing, to the senators. I'm oh, sorry. About, sorry, <laughs> sorry, just sorry, before, sorry. No, no, you got me. You got me fucking worked up about the Knicks. So we <laughs> saw it with Donald Sterling. The yeah. LA Clippers almost didn't walk on the floor one night, or not even the LA Clippers. I think it was the All Star. It was either the All Star game or the Clippers themselves almost didn't walk on the floor for no. It was a playoff game. The Clippers and they didn't have their, they had their jerseys inside out or something like they that, had, right? Yes. They threw them to center court. They almost didn't play a damn basketball game that was about to be nationally televised. So if something doesn't happen in New York, meaning, hey, maybe we should get rid of this owner out of this little club, I, I don't know what's going to happen with those players because they're not going to stand for that. I hope not. They're not included in this 2014 play-in that the, the NBA is doing. So we won't know until November or December. Part of me is worried that the opportunity will have been not 
necessarily forgotten, but, but you know, if they were playing now, now would be the time. Not that they would be playing now either because they were so bad. But I hope that if they're players on that team, because it's a big risk for them, they're not a good team, and the players are either extremely young um, or and they're not superstars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they worry about not getting a contract the next year, whatever. The, the same things anybody else worries about. I hope that they still take that opportunity to do that. Yeah. And I'm half invested in that team because they got R.J. Barrett down there. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's right. A, that's a Canadian kid who's got to play for James Dolan, who seems like the worst owner in sports right now. Anyway. Scary, isn't it? Yeah. We'll get back to the Senators. Senators. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not often. That's my bad. It's not often that you hear of a, of a pro sports franchise and its charity divorcing. Yeah. But the Ottawa Senators and the Sens Foundation are divorcing. The license agreement is up. The Sens Foundation is called the Sens Foundation, meaning that if they're going to continue to be a foundation, they can't call themselves the Sens Foundation anymore. They've got to be something else. So they released a statement saying very quickly that they were proud of the partnership, thank the Senators organization, moving on. The Senators also released a statement, which was much longer. I feel so, so bad for whoever had to write it. Yeah, me too. It um, seems, by and large, good people work for the Ottawa Senators. Sure. I'm sure good people work for the Knicks and Rangers too. Yep. The Ottawa Senators organization extends its gratitude and appreciation to the current board of the foundation for serving the charitable organization with distinction. Uh, the Ottawa Senators have provided more than $110 million to the community initiatives in the last 16 years. Uh, it gives them the accomplishments. The senators look to look forward to continuing to build on the legacy of success and expanding our philanthropic reach for years to come. Now, one of the stories, one of the parts of this that I found the most interesting is Eugene Melnick rented the Senators Foundation offices. And one of the things that you normally don't see with uh, a charitable organization, especially one associated with a team, is charging them rent. And the big bone of contention with the Sens Foundation was, hey, you're charging us hundreds of thousands of dollars of rent per year from money we raised from the community to put back into the community. But it's going to Eugene. So that apparently was one of the major sticking points and the reason for this split. Um, it was, you think about that now, like one of the things, a bit of a dark side of sports, unfortunately, and there's another, there's a charity in town I'm thinking of, but I'm not going to mention it. Name them. I will not name them. Name and shame. I will not name and shame. Shame. But there is, there are many professional sports teams because it, it, it's, the, the sad thing is that there are laws about how much of your charity needs to be a charity to be considered a charity, right? There needs to be those laws. Meaning if you have a charity and you give back, I think the law here is 20%. You're a charity. You're not for profit. Uh, um, was it last year? The list came out of the Canadian. Did it? Uh, for, yeah. We talked about it on the show. Okay. Then so then we have, we have from, chatted about it. Yeah. From Do the, we? uh, um, team charities that go to charity. The list that was leaked online and we, uh, we talked about it briefly on the show. Now you got to keep in mind 
they have salaries to pay, benefits to pay, offices to have, expenses. They got to throw events to raise money. Like, I get it. I get it. Not every, some dollar has to go to upkeep and just right. what it takes to run an organization. And one of the things Eric Lindros takes a lot of pride in with the Eric Lindros Celebrity Hockey Classic for Easter Seals is the percentage of the money that goes towards Easter Seals. On right. Yes. Which is important. Do you know that offhand? It starts with an eight. Can't remember. It's high. Hopefully it's 88. Hey, <laughs> wouldn't that be perfect? <laughs> so Put in that a lot in your of, contract. <laughs> so in a, in a lot of cases, a business that runs, you know, 20 to 30% profit's pretty good, right? In a charity's case, if you're giving, you should be giving somewhere in the neighborhood uh, in, in a perfect world, like 60 to 70%. That's a lot of these, a lot of these sports charities from these major sports brands are given like 20%, 25%. And then the 80% is operational costs. Bingo. Which can help upgrade offices, computers. Oh, that computer ended up on someone else's desk. That doesn't work for the charity. Uh, Well, it's still owned by the charity. It just, it just happened to end up on this executive's desk. It's a, it's a write-off, right? I mean, ultimately that's, from a tax perspective, that's what a charity is for the, a lot of these organizations. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, because if there wasn't a tax write-off, a lot of them wouldn't do it at all. But I think that's the problem. Well, I, I, I don't think you're going to change that. No. I think, though, it's important to recognize that um, the situation in Ottawa runs so deep that there will be no recovery until Eugene Melnick is out. You know, you, you read a story like this and you think that's not even the 10th worst thing I've heard about this person. And it's not even that he's evil. It's that he's greedy and incompetent. Perceptually. Perceptually. <laughs> oh. That's the allegation. Do you disagree, Steve? No, it's just he said that. Well, it's, Adam I mean, that's the allegation. that. I, I don't have direct dealings with Eugene Melnick, so I can't tell you what it's like to deal with Eugene Melnick. But if you have a charitable foundation, a charity that's getting charged hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, or sorry, a year in rent, if you have a charity that's like, it's so bad here that we can't even be a charity with a major sports brand in this city, the major sports brand in the city. It's making us look bad or we can't survive. That really says something. It is too financially taxing to work with this National Hockey League team. Yes. When you have a guy like Tom Anselmi, who worked for the Leafs for a long, long time, made a lot of money. A lot of people really critical of Tom Anselmi. But Richard Petty, Tom Anselmi, and a lot of those guys made a ton of smart foundational business decisions for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment that to this day they still stick to. They were ultimately not the guys that led the Leafs and Raptors to where they are now in terms of on the court and on on the ice. But those guys put together the business plans that brought the Leafs and Raptors together, put them in the Air Canada Center, now Scotiabank Arena, did all these amazing things. Tom Anselmi goes up to Ottawa for like six months and can't work with Eugene Melnick. This man knows he is paid because he knows how to make sports organizations money which is not always what they do. They don't always make money. And this guy knows. And you have the LeBreton flats deal fall through. And you have your charity walking away. You have your best player 
in a generation saying, I would just die to be here and you can't even offer him a proper contract extension. I mean, and, and regardless of what your thoughts are on whether or not Eric Carlson should assign the, or San Jose should have, you know, linked up Eric Carlson, the reality was with that saga, it never needed to be a saga, right? It could have been a bad contract in the end or whatever. But tell me if what happened with Eric Carlson and the Ottawa Senators, and I understand there's the Mike Hoffman and his, uh, the Mike Hoffman angle in that too, but tell me how that was beneficial for them. And, it, and to me, it all comes back to, I feel bad for Pierre Dorian because I think he's done a very good job despite whatever storm clouds are above him. And I didn't really have a lot of faith in him to start. And he has really surprised me. They've got a good young group of people. I think that Branistrom kid's going to be amazing. I thought that was a great pickup for Mark Stone. But there's another guy who all he wants to do is stay. And you can't run him out of town fast enough. At a certain point, the NHL needs to take a deep look at its brand in Ottawa. And I understand that in terms of brand priorities for the NHL, it's probably 27, 28 on the list. It's not a key market for them. It's not even a key market television revenue-wise in Canada. It's not. It's not. It's not. I know, it's, but it's it, not. Really, it really could be, though. But it, bingo. When you look at exactly that, Steve, when you look at potential in Ottawa. So right now, the it's revenue enormous. is it's huge because it's, that's it. There's not even CFL at that time of year. That's it. And the Sens are deeply ingrained in the community. There are people that absolutely love that team. Ride or die with the Senators. Will not go to a game, not just because of where the arena was, because they used to sell out, but just because the guy that owns the team doesn't give a shit. And so, uh, and not only does he not give a shit, he's actively doing things that are alienating almost everybody from the team. When your hardcore fans can't get behind what your team stands for. You've got these brand values and every corporation has them. The senators have them too. And the core values are not even shared by the guy that owns the team. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how the NHL doesn't look at that and go, listen, we could probably be doing 50 to 60% more revenue in this market if we could just get rid of this guy. And there are ways, there are ways to, we saw it with Donald Sterling. Now, Donald Sterling went on a racist tirade. It was released. It was an easy PR move, they, and, the, and the owners kicked him out. But, but this, is a, this is a Gary Bettman priority, whether he sees it or not. There's a gigantic amount of money to be made in Ottawa, and you know they blame, well, it's a government town. There's no corporate sponsors. There would be corporate sponsors. They don't have to live there. Corporate sponsorship? Like, the funny thing about corporate sponsorship is the head office of that particular organization does not need to be in that city for them to want your team, for them to want to pay big money to be on your arena, for them to want to pay big money to be on your boards. Canadian Tire, it's a Toronto product. They have the Canadian Tire Center. That's who sponsors their arena. That, is, that doesn't matter. What matters is how great is the brand. The brand was amazing. 2007, Spezza, Heatley, Alfredson, all these, you know, Mike Fisher, um, uh, uh, that, that team that Chris went to the cup. Chris Wade Phillips, Wade Redden, yep. Zidano back in the day. You know, there's, mm -hmm. 
there, there is a great rich history of recent success in that market. I mean, they just went to the conference finals three years ago and were a puck away. And it's just funny to me. We keep reminding them. Yeah. It's just very funny to me that this continues to be an issue. And I just wonder how much scorched earth is the NHL going to see before they step in like they did with the Coyotes? The Coyotes have been on on life support for uh, for 95% of the last 20 years. Where's that sort of support for the Senators? I guarantee you, if the NHL did what it did with the Coyotes and it stepped in and bought the Senators off Eugene Melnick, the Senators' ticket sales, the entire aura around that team changes like that. Ottawa comes back, and then it's an attractive market, and then they sell the team at a profit. I just don't understand. And it, it would take two or three years of community building again, get, you, get a charity back in, on board, uh, start building sales relationships, and you would start to see some real revenue kick out of there. An you're exciting never gonna, young core. Never, well, you're never going to make the money the, the Habs are or the Leafs are. It's not a big enough city yet, but it's growing hugely. It, it, like People don't know this, but Ottawa is expanding rapidly. Housing prices are skyrocketing. There's money there. It's just that nobody wants to support an, organ, an organization run by this person. That's all it is. And at a certain point, the NHL needs to look at that and say, we probably could make some action here. And the great thing is for the NHL, Canadian dollar 60 cents on the American dollar right now. Cost them nothing. Cost them nothing. Well, and it's also incentive to get it done now. Because uh, the last time the dollar was this bad, uh, we lost the Jets and the Nordiques. Right. So uh, that was also they, before revenue sharing and all the other things. Of that course, would prop up. Yeah, of course. But maybe pitter patter get at her with uh, regard to the Ottawa Senators. I find Gary Bettman boring and annoying. I don't think he's dumb. No, he's no. not dumb. And I got to imagine this is really high on his priority list. And I was just <laughs> in the middle of you talking at him. I, I was picturing, I was picturing the sigh Gary Bettman lets out when his phone lights up with Eugene. this guy like how out of all the owners he's got to be one of the most taxing he's got to be the eugene again dude i've been trying to prop this league up for ages i've I've been trying to fix the arizona thing i've actually done a decent job with the arizona thing in recent years we got vegas look how good that's worked out we're trying to include seattle and we're in the middle of a holy smoking pandemic and you lost your foundation? Huge, I'm sick of hearing from you. You lost your own foundation? You were a cartoon idea of a villain. What the hell? Is what I imagine he would say. But he works for him, technically. 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 I don't it's- know what else could be said about him. <laughs> Adam, you covered, you covered it all. It's- we just need V. Stiviano now to come back and release some tapes about him. So if anybody knows where she's doing, just That's call her the, up and... the Donald Sterling's girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Remember her with her freaking visor and she was yeah. on TMZ for 15 minutes and they followed her around and she's like, oh, yeah. I don't want to see the second Uber video. <laughs> That's the. What's that? No, I'm, no, I'm saying, yeah, what, maybe she drives Uber now. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It was very well said, Adam, and I, yeah. I just agree wholeheartedly with everything you said. Yeah. They need to do some major building there. And you know what? You know, if if I was Rogers, if I'm Bart Yabsley, 
if I'm who's the CEO of Rogers now? Um, Adam, now you're asking me to, I don't know titles. I didn't know Tom Anselmi's title when I worked for the Leafs. <laughs> okay. Well, if uh, I am, I think it's, uh, JD Bunkus. Ah, yeah, JD yeah. Bunkus. No, it's not. Vice if President I'm the, ben Ennis? If I am, <laughs> if I am the CEO of Rogers and I've committed to this league for seven more years, I think after this six more years, um, I'm calling Gary and saying, listen, I'm paying an enormous amount of money for these hockey rights. And this guy is just making a cartoon out of this franchise. Um, this is not what I invested in. Do something. Because you could make the argument that by not looking after that team, they're devaluing the product, which is not good for business practice. You can make that argument. If you sign a deal with somebody and they go out of their way to destroy the thing that you've signed the deal for, now, I, Eugene would argue that he's doing his best, but um, you can you can say you can say in a court uh, they destroyed the thing that they said that like Neil Young had she, he signed a record contract at the beginning of the '80s, released three terrible albums, and the record company sued him and said he's trying to make anti-commercial music. We can't sell this, <laughs> and and because Neil's a dick. Let's just be straight. Like he's awesome, but he's also sort oh, yeah. of a dick, and and uh, would do that. Um, and, uh, and I think, I think that there is a, you've got to, I, I think everybody at this point has got to point at the senators, point at them and say, what are we doing here now? Where are we going with this? Because it's sort of listlessly been, been going this way since the outdoor game, nothing's changed course. I think we need a strong man in there with some real power, Gary Bettman. And it's time to solidify that Canadian market. There's no reason for that franchise not to succeed. Wild, wild amount of potential. Wild amount of potential. Cap room, young players. um, You're in a school town. You're in a government town. You're wild amount of potential. By the way, president and CEO of Rogers is Joe Natale, which translated from Italian to English is Joe Christmas. (laughs) I've met, I actually met Joe Natale when I, when, uh, when I was there. Now I remember that he has big hands. I believe it. Did you know that? Did you know that Neil Young once tried to build his own uh, MP3 player? Yes. Yeah, the Pono. Yeah. So because it was better quality sound or something. (laughs) Yeah. He tried to make a high def MP3 player after in like this is like 2015 or something after everyone already had songs on their no it was it was right around the time that the the zune came out you guys remember that i remember the zune Zune? no this was long after the zune was it yeah 2015 time ago yeah the zune i just remember that because it was featured in uh the in commons video um uh universal mind control what a what a great song ruined by that zune commercial that it it became but uh um Um, but the, yeah, so the Neil Young thing from what I remember was that he's like, people want better sound quality. And the people are like, we listen on shitty headphones. We actually don't really know the difference. And he's like, yes, you do. <laughs> and uh, Axl Rose actually back in the day wanted to put out Guns N' Roses second album, but only release it in a format that is meant for people that have five different speakers so it would have sounded great in this one. I forget what kind of stereo this was, but this was this five-piece stereo that had, you know, your highs, your lows, and your mid-ranges. And it really, 
you know, push the music out there. And Slash said to Axel, he's like, most of our fans are poor and they listen on one shitty speaker. If it only works in a five speaker scenario, they're not gonna be able to listen to the album. And <laughs> Axel didn't get it. <laughs> like, you didn't understand. Uh, it was just, it's, anyway, great story from the Slash book. You should read the Slash book. Um, and, and let me just say this in front of Jesse. Listen to your producer. Yes. <laughs> they always know. Yes, exactly. Anyway. Sometimes. Um, uh, a few other things that happened this week. I'm not sure if we want to get into any of them. Um, because a lot of it's, at this point, old news, to be honest. Um, did it happen five minutes ago? Yeah. It's old, it's old news. <laughs> it was great to see. Uh, uh, <laughs> great to see a bunch of NHL players come out and say the things that we were asking them to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we, we've said that the last couple episodes. There's just been an outpouring of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also would like to shout out um, the staff from The Athletic. Uh, 8% of the staff, 46 people were let go this week. And it, Obviously, it has to do with the fact that um, um, new subscriber growth, growth is down. There's no podcast ad revenue. We can speak to that. It's tough um, because of the pandemic. Um, I feel like once things get rolling again, um, I hope that they're able to just rehire all those people. Uh, in the meantime, uh, shout out to those people. Uh, each and every one of you are extremely talented. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been working at The Athletic. And uh, I sincerely hope that this uh, moment in time in your life, which is undoubtedly brutal, um, does not last. So we're hoping for that. We're hoping for to get sports back soon, as soon as we can. Obviously, um, uh, you also have the NFL coming out with their statement. Roger Goodell saying what Shocking. he said, supporting things unequivocally would have been good four years ago, but we'll take it. Um, we were wrong. We were wrong. I was stunned to see him say that. It's rare. Really rare. Do you think Jerry Jones approved that message? (laughs) Well, well, I don't know. I don't know if the owners were necessarily consulted. Mm -mm. Well, it was the right thing to do for the league. And, you know, people gave Jay-Z a really hard time when he, I forget what the the title is, but he is signed with the NFL. Um, to help them talk about this sort of stuff, to help them understand this sort of stuff. And they gave him a hard time because it's like, why would you work with these people? And a guy like Jay to me seems like the right guy because he's as rich or richer than a lot of the owners <laughs> uh, while he's getting there anyway. But beyond that, he's a well-spoken, well-thought-out guy who can speak directly to the plight uh, that these owners would never understand. And so it seems like, and I hope this is the case, that, that maybe there was a little bit of that Jay-Z influence on what happened with Roger Goodell. Maybe it's Roger Goodell understanding, okay, I'm out of my depth here. I need to hire somebody great. Jay, to me, seems like a good guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's important to have those voices in the room, just that, that perspective. And if Jay-Z had to get, because the deal was with Rock Nation. And right. And through Rock Nation, Jay-Z also signed to amplify... Uh, the league's social justice efforts. That's pulling up the uh, NFL's official PR statement at the time back in September. And if that's the way that these 30, I think it's 30 white women and 30 white men get to hear um, an alternate voice, hear some, a guy who literally came from nothing and worked his way up 
to become what he is. If they if they hear his voice now in mm-hmm. a boardroom behind closed doors, like that's that's important. Uh, there was also the story this week about um, uh, Serena Williams' husband, also co-founder of Reddit, Alex Ohanian, um, stepping down from the board of directors of Reddit and asking them in his place to replace him with um, a black person, somebody who could speak to some of these things. And I thought, you know, not, not, not all of us have that, the option to do that. The guy's made so much money, he never has to work again. But <laughs> oftentimes, those people are the people that are like, no, I can't stop. I must continue. And he was smart enough to say, you know what? For the future of this company, which he still owns, um, it's better that we have a different voice in there. And that's not easy. You're giving up control of the thing that you founded, which is a, a force, a major force in the internet and will be for years to come. The front um, page of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really. Um, it's amazing what, what Reddit's been. It's also been, it's fermented a lot of crazy, crazy shit too. Let's be honest. Uh, uh yeah. which they've cracked down on recently, but, um, I, I had to say, I was really impressed by that because I know for someone like that, it would be pretty tough to give up control. And I really respected that he did it um, because it's not about money at this point for these guys. They're billionaires. It's control. And a lot of billionaires, control freaks. Really tough for them to give it up. So good for him. Uh, and hopefully he gets to spend a little more time with his, his daughter too because their kid is so flipping cute. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's funny. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really care much about people's kids. Like It's not that like I didn't like them, but it was just sort of like they were just there. Now that I have one, I'm like every, every kid, I'm like, so flipping cute you are a treasure <laughs> you are a golden God, shining a- treasure you're adorable that's <laughs> the weirdest thing uh big old softy now um so with that i think we're just going to jump into the press conference you guys cool with that yeah the steve dangle press conference all right we got a ton of questions i'm going to save a lot of these for Wednesday. We'll do a we'll do an extended press conference Wednesday. We'll do half an hour show, half an hour press conference. Awesome. Uh, yeah, because uh, a lot of people tweeted back a bunch of questions. So unless something mental happens, and then right. that mind. changes again. <laughs> it's the it's the five year plan that changes every day, right, Steve? We changed our mind. The NHL starts today. <laughs> <laughs> I'd believe it. I'd believe it. So Sorry, I'd Jack Eichel, you're still not invited. Yeah, uh, and they're all outdoors <laughs> in July in Vegas. And Chicago <laughs> plays every game. Yep, Every- and they also just win. And like, <laughs> because. All right, Scott Matla wants to know for Adam's History Corner. Okay. Can you talk about Rasputin, please? Oh. I don't know where this, uh, what this means or where this is going, but please give it a go, Adam. So Rasputin is one of the most infamous characters in history. I want you to look, Google him right now, both of you. Google him. Oh, I, I am aware. I'm aware of Ra Ra Rasputin. Lover of the Russian queen. Absolutely. Gregorio? Well, Gregorio Rasputin. Yeah. Got a nice see, see his picture? Yeah. He's got see those picture. eyes? Yeah. So they said, so this guy is an alcoholic, womanizing priest, priest from, I believe the, is he from the Caucasus region of Russia? Anyway, it doesn't really matter where he's from. He's an alcoholic, womanizing guy who... It's so strange because he had, he, he came from no money. And Russia at this time, and this is 
right before and during the First World War is a very class-oriented society. And there are very few people with money, and then everybody else is dirt poor. And he came from the dirt poor. And somehow, with that beard, never showering, never bathing, um, went, got into the Russian court, which was very refined, and was able to... He would, he would charm people, they said, so much that like he would whisk men's wives off um, and the men would be okay with it. And but, like, this happened at, the, at Russian court. Now, the real reason he was there was because, um, and I've, you, you're, you'll have to forgive me on this one, Tsar Nicholas's son, and Tsar Nicholas is an interesting cat in, him, in and of himself. Tsar Nicholas used to get made fun of by his friends because he actually loved his wife, which at the time... In Russian nobility, it was like, what do you mean you actually love your wife? You're supposed to love like your mistresses and stuff like that. Your wife's just there for, you know, kids. and what. I'm not saying it wasn't backwards, just the way it was. He loved his wife. He loved his family. And his son, I believe is Alexander. Um, correct me on that if I'm wrong. But his son had uh, the disease where, and I can't think of it right now, your blood won't clot. So is it, is it anemic? I think he's anemic. Yeah, I think that's what it is. So if he falls, you imagine like you're like six years old and you're out there and you scrape your knee and it's life threatening. They have no cure for this at this time. And, and so the entire, he had a, a bunch of sisters, but the entire Russian monarchy rests on this kid surviving. And so they, Rasputin believed and people believed him, especially the Tsarina, uh, that, that he could heal. And every time this kid got injured, you know, they'd banish Rasputin from the court. They'd say, get out of here. You, take your drunken womanizing shitty ways with you. Every time this kid got hurt, they'd call him. Because for whatever reason, and this is probably confirmation bias, they would bring him back. Kid would get better. And you could argue that if they didn't bring him back, the kid probably would have got better. But the, the, the understanding of medicine in 1912 is not great in Russia. It's just not. Um, and what I, what I find particularly fascinating about this man is he was such a striking figure and such a personality that he was famous all over Russia. And this is a, a, a country that in many ways at the time was, was very rural um, not urbanized at all, and yet everybody in every city in every town would have been able to recognize Rasputin because of how striking he was and because of the force he had. And what ended up happening is there was obviously, um, uh, as, the, as the First World War wears on, um, citizens are not able to eat because all the, uh, the food is going to the army, so people are hungry, they're starving, they're waiting in bread lines for 12 hours. Um, and they start to believe that this Rasputin guy not only, because again, very superstitious, not a well-educated society, um, uh, they start to believe that he's got the, the czar and the czarina, the king and queen, under a spell. And that they're not acting in their right minds because they're around him all the time. Like he's a genie? And essentially that, yes. <laughs> yeah. And you got to remember. Like, you got to look him up, man. <laughs> he's wild. Like Russia, Russia at this time is like 200 years behind every other power in terms of structure of military economy. Um, um, they were modernizing very quickly, which is part of the reason why World War I started, because Germany said, in three years, we can, we can beat them now. But in 1917, we probably won't be able to beat them just because they're so big. And I don't know whether that would have been the case or not. You can speculate to death. 
but they were building railroads and they were figuring it out and they were starting to bring Russia into the century. And, and you know, you couple the idea of the people believing that their czar, who they're devoted to, um, is not acting in his right mind. You add that with a war and new ideologies on politics. You know, this, this is a, a regime that, you know, Tsar Nicholas's grandfather had opened up things and he started a, uh, a parliament, which I think it's called the, I forget what it's called. It's still there. It's the Bund. I don't, I don't know what it's called. Anyway, um, there's a Russian parliament that started and then his son said, screw that. I am the czar. I'm going to do whatever I want. And this Nicholas guy is sort of like not really a big power politics guy. So he doesn't really get involved as much. Um, and so you've got the people feeling really disenfranchised with the government. You've got communist ideologies, you know, coming out of everywhere and, and agitators happening everywhere. People aren't eating and it pushes the country towards revolution in 1917. And it's so funny because they saw the czar and the czarina as like a God, right? As somebody you had to be devoted to, you were fighting for the czar and the czarina and everybody that fought for the czar and the czarina went to the front and they died. So that leaves the people who are not necessarily as loyal in the major cities who don't believe that the czar and the czarina are acting in their right minds. And there are all these new ideologies coming out of nowhere that are like, oh, we, we could share the wealth? You mean we could like, I mean, we could all kind of work together? That's crazy. And so what Rasputin becomes is a cog in the wheel of the Russian Revolution. He helps people with sort of the guilt of turning on something, on an institution that they thought was sacrosanct. So you imagine like you have, it's almost religious, right? You have to, when, when kings and queens and that sort of thing, there was a point in every country where that was almost a religious belief that these people were ordained by God. And in Russia, that still was the case. But because of Rasputin, their brand with their people is hurt. And it starts, and so when, when people say, yeah, we need to get rid of these guys, we need to depose these guys, um, uh, it, it becomes a lot easier for them to say, yeah, you know, we had to get rid of them because they weren't acting in their right minds. If they'd said, yeah, we had to get rid of them because it's a naked power grab, people feel guilty about that. Um, and what ended up happening was there's a million things that go into the Russian Revolution. However, this gets so bad, the, the war effort gets so bad that Nicholas decides, I'm going to leave Moscow and or sorry st petersburg and i'm gonna go to the front and manage the war myself and this is a guy that's not a general so you can imagine how well that goes it gets so bad that there's a revolution in st petersburg uh where the workers storm everything and take over so he comes back and on the way on the train over they basically tell him you can't go back so he abdicates passes the crown to his brother his brother's like i don't want that shit abdicates and that's the end of the monarchy and then there's a nine-month democracy that takes over and this is really really basic stuff um uh alexander kerensky who uh was the uh prime minister of that particular nine-month period if he decides to pull russia out of the war at that point the communist revolution probably doesn't happen but he says no we got to stick to our treaties and we got to do this and then the communists say all they had to say was bread for all so relating that back to Rasputin, a lot of what's said about him is just probably not true. He was a striking looking guy. He was a charmer with women. Uh, he was a drunken fool, a total hedonist. 
uh, and had one of those people that had that cult of personality around him and contributed to the fall of the last Caesar. That's what czar comes from. It's the last Caesar in the world. And it, it's, a very, it's a fascinating story, but it's really not about Rasputin. It's about what happened around Rasputin and the perception of Rasputin that makes him so famous. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Can, can I get in there for a sec? Because sure. Adam did a lot of the like, actual historical stuff and uh, like political impact and whatever. The myths and stuff around him are oh, wild. Crazy. So myth, there's, there's a list here. It's of five things. Myth number four. He was impossible to kill. <laughs> Rasputin's behavior and influence came to symbolize everything negative in Russian politics and society at the time. Even prior to his final assassination, other attempts on his life were made. In June of 1914, a beggar woman stabbed the monk in the stomach, claiming he was seducing the innocent. Rasputin made a full recovery, even though he had lost a lot of blood and was close to death after the incident. Mm -hmm. Two years later, a group of nobles led by a man named Felix Yusupov plotted to get rid of the holy man once and for all. On December 30th, 1916, Yusupov invited Rasputin to dine at his home. After a heavy meal, complete with wine and dessert, all supposedly heavily laced with poison, the men looked on as amazingly Rasputin showed no sign, uh, showed no symptoms that the poison was having an effect on him. The men proceeded to shoot Rasputin, who, according to legend, still drew breath after a barrage of bullets uh, <laughs> and only died after he was thrown into an ice-cold river to drown. However, while Rasputin's death was in fact plotted by Yusupov and other nobles, autopsy reports show that no poison was found in Rasputin's system. Uh, and that so They fucked up the poison part, but everybody's like, oh, it just means the system doesn't accept poison. I'm like, no, no, no. They just yeah. fucked it up. <laughs> um, Even though, and it seems that he died from a single bullet to the head. Well, yeah, well and that's, well. so that's the interesting part. There is a rumor, and I don't know if this is substantiated, about the way he died because Russia, and Russia France, and England are, are the triple entente at this point, and the war is not going well, and the word is the British could have killed him uh, or could have helped the plot to kill him because they knew how bad he looked uh, to the Russian population. They were concerned about, um, about you know, there being a revolution and they needed to keep Russia in the war because then if, if Russia's not in the war, then Germany could transfer all these people over to their front and they're totally screwed. So they're trying to keep Russia in the war and apparently they tried, and I don't know if the, the bullet in the head thing is the part where some people have speculated that England might have been involved in, in taking him out. Um, yeah, just he's got crazy stories around him, but sorry, I don't know. The thing is, is that with mystics like him, I'm not that interested because I know it's all bullshit. So, you know, what I'm interested in personally the is reason. the effect. Yeah, well, is the effect <laughs> of what happened around him, right? That's my personal area of interest. There are books written on this guy. And really what it is, it's the same effect that, you know, Steve Jobs would have on people, right? He just has that, you walk in and there are certain people that have that aura. You just walk into their field and you're like, you're taken. And uh, he's just one of those guys. And, uh, and one of history's most notorious characters. But a very, very interesting man. Right. So there you go. You guys want one more question? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Um, Adam, we'll Yo. do a couple more questions. 
Uh, RJ four six zero seven six zero four. Not a real guy. No. <laughs> Why does Adam think I'm a bot? Because, <laughs> well, listen, you haven't done a whole lot to make me think you're not a bot. Uh, come up with a better name, RJ. Unless five, those, six, eight, all five, those numbers three, are really important to him. That's a lot of numbers. That if if all those numbers are really important to him, then none of them are important. It's too many numbers to be important to you, man. You, that's most of the numbers. Like you can't take all the numbers and go; these are all important. One of them has to be important. The rest of them are just numbers. You, that's like saying I'm a fan of all 32 NHL teams. I am hardcore for all 32 NHL teams, even the one that's not playing yet. No, no, not like that. They're can not all special. Multi, can I give a multi-million-dollar idea away for free right now? Make the default Twitter name, I'm a bot. So they have to change it? Yes. In the same way that you have to prove you're not a robot when you like buy stuff online or log in. I feel in like something. that would encourage people to just leave it. Yeah. What? Like oh, that. like the people who sucker you in an NHL by just wearing the default jacket and it turns out they're sick? Whatever. <laughs> like, whatever. Whatever. I, I don't care. Someone that would get off on that, I don't care. Like, yeah. make the default name, I'm a bot. Yazir wants to know, does a straw have two holes or one? Oh, shit. <laughs> it has one hole and two ends. Yes. 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 Yeah. And now Jesse will inform us whether or not we're right. Jesse, are we right? What do you mean by ends? Ends. Yeah. So it has the, two ends. Why does why does it not have two holes? A well, hole because okay, if there's two ends, then there's a hole at the top and a hole at the bottom. I think your logic proves you're wrong. But what's it's separate a, about those holes? What what is separate about one end of a straw to the other? It's one continuous thing. So the hole is continuous, which means a hole has two parts, and this particular hole has two parts to it, but it's one hole. Now, no, this I could think, get I crazy, think, though. This I could get if, crazy. If there was a bottom on the straw, if there's uh -huh. something capping the other end, then it has one hole. But since it opens at the other side, that's, there's two holes. A well has one hole because you can only get in one way. But if a well had a hole at the other end of the earth, then it has two holes. Adam, based on our own logic, does a sewer system only have one hole? And a bunch no, of ends. No, it has many holes. <laughs> it has it's many. Got a, right? <laughs> the straw has two holes. All right, fine. All right. I don't know. <laughs> Damn. Is the straw love... really just a liquid tunnel? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, is there anything else, Jess? Uh, we can do one more. Julius, right. you guys got to pick one Leafs team from history to do a Last Dance documentary on. Oh, Who are you picking? A Horacek fourteen fifteen. No Leafs. No, the worst dance. Nobody's uh, watching that. Uh, <laughs> the hmm. Worst dance. The worst dance. That's funny. I think the ninety eight ninety nine Leafs. Cujo's oh. first year. See, that's the they first surprised. dance. They well, because they were bad. They were bad for three years. Yeah, and then they were good. the last dance of being the last shitty dance. So it, it, you got to remember, it's the Leafs. They haven't won anything in a long, long time. So it, the last dance is to be the last of the bad, at least yeah. for now, until they're bad again. Or at so, least the kind of good. They won a round. 
Like, <laughs> Stayed one, two, sir. Oh. Crazy. <laughs> I would. I have. I have two answers. The '67 Leafs, just because that was literally a team built to be in their last dance. They were yeah. called. The, they were nicknamed the Over the Hill Gang. Uh, right. A bunch of them were over forty. I think Johnny Bauer was like. He was mad old. They a lot of them were really old. George Armstrong was really old. That was a really old team. The other, just because the team kept this team so sealed tight and didn't let anybody talk, I would love to see a behind-the-scenes documentary of the 16-17 Leafs. They're all rookies, um, you know, guys who are going to be cornerstones on the team for years to come. They're unexpected run to the playoffs, all, all sorts of storylines. Um, and a lot of, a lot of the perspective we got was from like the mouth of Tyler Bozak and Nazem Kadri because they wouldn't let anyone else talk. Mm-hmm. So I would love if we could go back in time and like, you know, see Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and, and William Nylander and, and all of them coming into their own in real time. That'd be cool. It would be cool. Logan Polak actually would probably be the most entertaining guy on that documentary. Right? He's hilarious. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to be back Wednesday, and then after that, it's Wednesdays until the season comes back, and that will not be long. You you might think, oh, that's a a long time. It's probably like four or five episodes, and then the season's back anyway. Maybe less than that. Yeah, it could be. (laughs) So so anyway, thank you so much for listening. Uh, uh, We'll see you Wednesday, and have a great week until then. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve underscore Dangle, at Adam W-Y-L-D-E, and at Jesse Blake. Brought to you by Panago Pizza. Order at Panago.com and stuff your face with deliciousness. Connection complete.